As I've been looking back over my Christian life and looking at the beginnings of my Christian life, I'm very thankful that someone came along to disciple me. And they believe very strongly in Matthew 28, where Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then to teach those that respond. But as I look back over that, those early days, the one thing that was missing in the discipleship that I received that helped me so much with prayer and other areas of my life, they did not disciple me in the commands of Christ. Which are, which are included in that verse in Matthew 28. And uh, I am very thankful to uh, have one command of Christ to share with you that probably is one of the most difficult ones to understand, where Jesus said, be perfect. If we take that word perfect and we put a English dictionary translation to it, we literally miss what Jesus was talking about. The word perfect there literally means complete. That we are complete in Christ. And from that completion in Christ, and we'll look at some verses in a minute about that, we are to, our life is to flow from that. We are ministering from the completeness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I run a counseling ministry um, for the Lord, and it's interesting that so often the people that come to us for counseling are trying to be perfect, as they think of the term perfect, and they never attain it, and they live very discouraged lives, and no matter how hard they try or how much they try to do to be perfect, they're not perfect. And they're very discouraged. And many of them wonder, is the Christian life really working? Because no matter how far they go with the perfection part of it, there's always the, the part that isn't. And it's, we see them like on a treadmill, and they get it up to 10. And finally, they get so exhausted in trying to do everything to be perfect that they give, give up. And so Ephesians says something I thought was very interesting that we share with these people. Ephesians 1.6. And Paul is, in Ephesians chapter 1, is talking about a lot of who we are in Christ. And one of the things we are in Christ, in verse 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. That we are accepted not by our perfection living, we're accepted in Christ. Jesus said that the truth would set you free. And when people see that they're already accepted and from the place of being accepted and a place of being perfected, that they can serve Him, I can't tell you the freedom that comes into the life of these people uh, when they are now free to serve, not so they achieve something that they already have. And it's a very freeing thing. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews that I want to share with you on this thing of perfection. And it's Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. The verse says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And so the verses up above say that when you and I come to Christ by faith and receive him as our personal Savior, the blood of Christ 
not only washes away our sins, but it sanctifies us and we are perfected forever. Now, in our Christian life, once I realize that I have been perfected, we have an enemy. And the enemy is going to bring all kinds of attacks. And Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the spiritual battle that goes on in a Christian's life. And God, knowing the different struggles that we would have, He gave us different pieces of the armor of God to stand against the type of attacks that we have as believers. The, the first thing He gives us is the belt of truth. So we know that every time we're attacked by the enemy, there's going to be a lion at the some degree. But the second piece of the armor really is God's answer for this thing where Jesus said, be perfect. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And when the enemy comes, what he does, he points out our failures. He points out where we are not perfect. He, Hebrew, I mean, Revelation says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so he begins to bring up past failures or what you could have done better. And if I don't stand in the acceptance of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, I don't stand in the perfection of Christ, then I'm going to start being defeated. I'm going to receive those accusations. And I'm going to get so discouraged. And so what we encourage people to do to realize that 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness or the perfection of Christ in him. And so when the accuser comes in our life and points out where we're not, quote unquote, perfect, what I need to do is not to stand in my righteousness, but to stand in the righteousness that was given to me in Christ. And from that point, I can resist him and he will go. But so many believers are under accusations. Warren Worsby, a wonderful Bible scholar, uh, the man, a uh, real man of God that's written over a hundred books, said this, woe be to the Christian that cannot tell the difference between the accusations of the enemy and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When the enemy accuses us, it's so we give up and lose hope. When God convicts us about areas in our life that he wants us to be working on because we are perfect to perfect, then there's always hope. There's always encouragement. It is never discouragement and despair. And so we need to realize that we're working from something to something. See, we serve God because we have been perfected. And as we walk with God, then the outflow of that perfection is to flow out in our ministry, our working with others, our whatever God has called us to do and to serve Him. It comes from that. One of my favorite verses is 2 Peter 1.3. When I was in Bible college, I was asked to um, go to a Bible college years ago, and Bible college in those days taught one course only, and that was psychology. And so young men going to Bible college, if they were going to do any counseling, they were told they had a course in psychology, and they all had psychological stuff that I want to say doesn't work. And so they asked me to go, and would I start something new in the Bible college movement, and that is biblical counseling. So I went to the bookstores, the Christian bookstores years ago, to look for a textbook. 
There wasn't any. And I thought, I've got to start from scratch. And so I began to look at Scripture. What would be the basis of a biblical counseling program? And the basis was 1 Peter 1.3. And 1 Peter 1.3, or pardon me, 2 Peter 1.3 says this, according to his divine power. That's the kind of power that only comes from God. Hath given to us everything, everything we need to serve God, to walk with God, is found in this book. Everything for life as God intended us to live, spiritual life, living out this, our commitment with Christ, living out the spiritual life, God has given us everything for spiritual life and godliness. It's all here through the knowledge of Him that's called us to His glory and His virtue. And so in this book is everything that you and I need to outlive the Christian life in a way that would honor God. Remember Philippians 2.13. It is God that's working in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God will give me the desire and the power to make choices and to live in a way that would honor Him. And that is a wonderful working definition of the word grace. James chapter 4 tells us that God has for you and I more grace to outlive, I mean, to live out the perfection that is already given to us through the work of Christ on the cross. Because we have been perfected in Christ, we can have a ministry of intercession. And intercession, there are many aspects of prayer. But one of the ministries of intercession, or the word intercession in the ministry of prayer, is where we pray for others. Another word that you find in the Bible is supplications. That is where we pray for ourselves, where we're crying out for ourselves. Where you cry out for your family, you cry out for others, then you're crying out in this thing of, <clears throat> of what's called intercession. Now, in Acts 12, 5 through 17, is quite an interesting portion of Scripture. It's a very dark time and a very hard time in the life of Peter. Remember that Peter had preached, and the hearers did not respond, a lot of them, very positively. Although he had some real positive response, there was some very negative response. And they began to stir up a lot of opposition against the man. And through all of that, eventually, Peter was captured and he was put in prison. Now, the word prison in Acts there, if you look it up in the Greek, it's kind of interesting. It literally is cage. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying that Peter was in a cage, but the word refers to as a cage, being boxed in. Peter was boxed in. Uh, we were told that he was chained to guards. We were told there were guards guarding the door. And uh, one young man was just sharing today that really spoke to me that not only did the guards keep Peter in, but the guards kept the crowd out. So it's like God used the guards two ways. And so here is Peter in the situation, and tomorrow he is going to die. And um, we also heard from another young man uh, today how that, when, that Peter slept. And I thought about that. If I was in prison and I was going to be killed tomorrow, would I sleep? 
And it said he slept stretched out. The word there meant he stretched out and went to sleep. And um, anytime that I'm under any kind of little bit of stress, Logan doesn't sleep well. <laughs> I toss, I turn, I wake up a lot, and I think, wow. Uh, Peter did not know. He couldn't read the rest of the chapter because it hadn't been written yet. And yet Peter had confidence in God. And he knew that God could take him home or somehow God could work to get him out of there. And he went to sleep willing for the will of God. And what's interesting, when Peter's in this cage, he's all boxed in and everything. There's a very interesting word in this portion of Scripture if you want to read it at some time, it's Acts 12, 5 through 17. But everything up to that word is very dark. Everything after that word becomes very positive. And the word is a very insignificant word. But I encourage you, when you're reading Scripture, to look for the insignificant words. And the word is but. Here Peter's in prison and all this, and all of a sudden the word of God says, but a church began to pray. And what they were doing is what we call, as we talked about, intercession. This church began to intercess. It says prayer was made. Literally, the word means form. This group of people and a church is a called out one. What's interesting, this church that was called out was a home church. It was a church in a home where people were gathered and they were forming prayer and they were praying. And the word there, when it says that they were praying, literally is the word crying out. They were not just saying a prayer for Peter. Literally, they were crying out. The word is, they, there was like agonizing prayer. They were just crying out to God for Peter and his situation there in prison. And as they prayed, it says they prayed to God. And interesting in the Greek there, it's the only true God. They were crying out to the only true God, the only true God that could do something in this man's situation, in that prison, all locked up, and so on. So they were praying for the benefit of Peter. And as a result of the prayer, some very unique things happened. First of all, Peter's prison was very dark. And how we know it was very dark was that God said he um, flooded that darkness with light. Secondly, as they were praying, as a result of their prayers, God sent an angel. It tells us in Hebrews that angels are sent to minister to the children of God. A very, very good friend of mine who wrote a marvelous book uh, is considered a classic, one of the classic books on spiritual warfare and the thickest one that you could buy, was uh, a vice president of Overseas Crusade. And they were doing a ministry in India. It was a new ministry they started in India, way up somewhere. I don't know where it was, but it was way out of, of normal big cities and so on in a rural area. And they had about, I believe, 300 people that had come to Christ. And they decided that they would wait to baptize these people when they had a representative for the mission to come to the very first baptism, the very first establishing of a church in that area. And so this friend of mine, plus an Indian, plus two other fellows were in an open Jeep. And 
they were driving across India up to this place. When they came to the very last major town to go through before they went up into the mountains or where it was where this place was, some Christians came out to them and told them, don't go through. Now this just happened a few years ago. Don't go through this town because there are men there waiting to kill you. And how much protection do you have in an open Jeep? And he said he wished he'd have had the faith of the Bible. <laughs> you know, like Peter, God will take care of me. But you can imagine, you know, with no protection. And if you've never been through a third world country and you've never gone through at market day, the Jeep crawls. They're, the people are like ants, just hundreds and hundreds of people all over the place. And so they were going to have to creep through all of these people and wonder what would happen. And what they did is they cried out to God and asked God's protection. They did not command angels. I think that's very important. But they cried out to God to do whatever he needed to do to protect them because they knew that they were doing God's will. They knew that they needed to be there. And as they went through that village or town or whatever it was, they were very nervous. He said, I wish we weren't. I wish, you know, the whole story was wonderful and we never were worried, but we were worried. And we kept waiting for this attack to come. And they went clear through the village and no attack came at all. They went up to the area where uh, these people were. They baptized all of these people. And then they had a wonderful service that followed. They put uh, poles up and because it's so hot there in India, and they had palm branches across to put a shady place, and there were hundreds of people sitting there after the baptismal service, and they had a Christian service where they shared the Word of God and gave opportunities for people to receive Christ as their Savior. In India, as in many third world countries, when people receive Christ as Savior, they stand in line to come up and give their testimony. And in this line, there was a man that was not from that area, but literally from, this, from that town, which was quite a ways away. And when that man gave up to give his testimony, they found out what happened. They were in the very back of this service. They were sitting in the back of this thing, and they knew enough about Christians where they stand up and sing and all that stuff. So these group of men, this man was ahead of four or five other men that came with him, that when everybody stood up, and just before they sat down, they were going to kick the poles out so the roof would fall down. And at least they couldn't stop the Baptist, but they could mess the service up, the bap baptism. And just before they sat down, these five men, and only these five men, heard a, a, a loud roar of thunder. And the earth shook under where the five guys were, and God seated them first. He knocked them right down to the ground. So... They were sitting there, and all of a sudden this man said, obviously the God of the Christians is more powerful than the God that he was in. I'm not sure if he was a Hindu or Muslim. And so he listened to the message, and he received Christ. So he gave that testimony, and he also said, we were in town the other day when you were driving through, and we were going to attack you, and we had planned to stab you. But we couldn't, because the guard of men in white all around your Jeep kept us from getting close. I had an angel experience. Now, they didn't see the angels. I had an angel experience that I didn't know I had an angel experience. 
I was counseling a very disturbed, very influenced by the forces of darkness person. And afterwards, he told me that he had planned and the voices were telling him to leap on me and to hurt me. And I looked at this fellow who was very capable of hurting me without enemy help. And I said, why didn't you? And he said, there was an angel with a sword standing between us. You know, God is able to deliver. God is able to protect us because Logan's perfect. No, because I have been perfected already and had a desire to serve him. Well, what's interesting is they prayed. God sent the angels. Uh, Peter was delivered from prison and he went to the house and he knocked on the door and Rhoda came to the door and saw him there and shut the door and left him standing outside. And she went in and she said, Peter's here. And they said, no, he's not. We're praying for him. And she said, no, he's really here. No, it's his spirit. They said, no, you know, he is physically outside. The church couldn't believe. They were praying, but they couldn't believe. Now, the reason I use this illustration, and I asked God to give me uh, an illustration uh, about this, and I think it sums up everything that we've talked about. And I wrote some questions down about you and thinking about being perfect and this whole thing we've been talking about. Number one, how much faith did the people have that were praying? It doesn't seem like much, does it? That when they got an answer, they couldn't believe they had an answer. So the, 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 the issue was not they had great faith, and so God honored that great faith. The second thing is, how many kinds of prisons do you know that your friends are in? There's many kinds of prisons. There's prisons where people are bound emotionally. There's prisons where people are bound in habits and that which would be displeasing to God. We can pray that God would send deliverance to people in prison. That's what intercession is. The third thing, do your prayers ever result in God sending angels? And can you believe that as you pray that God can do whatever he do to set your friends, family members, or whatever, free as you cry out to God. Do you know someone right now that needs God's light to shine in darkness? They're very dark. They're in despair. They need the light of God as it came to Peter. Then two other things I jotted down as I thought about this, that Peter's obedience to the message he got from God, his chains fell off. Secondly, Peter's obedience brought him out of his cell or out of his confinement. And I'd like to sum this up this way. All this happened and more because perfect people who were yet not perfected prayed. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is the command. You and I have been perfected already by the death of Christ. It's in the word. And God is telling us to live out that in our life and experience. And if God could send angels and deliver a man from prison when people were yet being perfected, then God can use you and I to intercede and have a ministry of reaching out and touching others.